Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. In 2018, we moved into this building. It was February of, of 2018, and, and it, it was for me, and I don't, I don't have time to get into this whole story. Um, it, it was the fulfillment of a, a promise that I felt like God made me. I, I don't know if y'all know this, but you, this used to be a Lowe's Foods grocery store, and we used to come here and shop, and the first time I heard that this building was going to be empty, I was actually, we were still meeting at the high school, and I came over here to buy communion elements, and, and God opened this whole door or whatever, but one of the first things that we decided we wanted to do when we were trying to figure out how to lay this, all this out to use for God's glory is we knew that we wanted the first thing that you see in the lobby to be that line, inspiring people to live in love like Jesus. So that's why when you walk in, you see this statement. It's big, it's bold, it's right there. And it serves as a reminder. And we intentionally placed it there so that it's not just so that when you walk into this building on Sundays, but so that when our staff walks in Monday through Friday, when we come, every time we walk into this building, one of the first things that you see is that statement, inspiring people to live and love like Jesus. And I hope that you know that that is more than just some organizational motto for us. It embodies our why. It, it communicates to us, to the world. When people drive through the parking lot and they're like, what is this place? And y'all, when we first moved in here and we didn't have any kind of entry system, we'd walk in here and people would be walking around like, what is this place? Like curious about what it is. And so even when people drive by, even when they're going to the Dollar Tree to get their stuff, when they're headed to the vet, when they're headed to Sopranos to get some good pizza, whatever, like when they drive by our church and they look in, that it's more than just about that name outside lit up on the sign, but you peer into that lobby and you know this church exists to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. And we didn't just make that up, man. It's, it's, a, it's our way of communicating what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus gave the church his mission before he left this world, when he said, then the 11 disciples, because Judas had already taken his own life, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, when they saw him, they worshiped, but, but some were still not quite sure. They doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That line on the wall in that lobby, this line that you often hear us speak all throughout every environment of our church is born out of those verses where Jesus said, go and make disciples. And the way that we say go and make disciples is inspire people to live and love 
like Jesus. Because in, in its simplest form, a disciple is someone who lives and loves like Jesus. And how we want to go about making disciples is through inspiring them, through teaching his word and modeling what he did and loving on our community. And there's so many things to that. And I've been stuck on that word, disciple, for the last few weeks. That Jesus didn't say, go and create converts. He didn't even say, go and fill buildings. He didn't say, build buildings. He didn't say, create amazing worship experiences. And look at me. They're, all of those things are awesome, and we can use them, and they're tools. But he said, go and make disciples. And, and this live love, this version of it, I just, I want to lean back in to make sure, is that really what we're doing? Is, is that sentence being accomplished, not just in theory, but in reality? Are we really making disciples? Are we really doing more than just counting heads in a room every week? Are we really doing more than just, than just celebrating charity Are we really making disciples? And the only way to know is to really lean into the word and figure out, all right, what, what, what is a disciple? Not what do we think it is. What does the Bible say it would be? You know, I have conversations with people all the time. They say, Pastor Matt, you know, what do you think about such and such topic? First of all, don't come and ask me what I think if you don't want to hear it. We got to get, get out of this place and culture when we go and we ask somebody what they think and then they give it to us and when it doesn't align with what we hope for, we get mad at them. Amen, somebody. Because the reality is what I think really is insignificant. The right question is what, what does Scripture say? What, what does Scripture say? Not what do you think. <laughs> Not what do you feel. What does scripture say? And, and what this book is, is after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, after he gave them that commandment, what you see next in what we know as the Bible is those who were the first to follow trying to live all that stuff out. You have these disciples. And in Matthew 10, and I, I'm not even gonna read it, but just pull it up, guys, back there. Matthew 10, it lists these disciples these various groups of guys, this group of guys that was these 12 handpicked by Jesus, these original 12 that he, he invested in. There were more disciples, but there were these 12. And, and if you read that list, you see the gamut of people. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but it says Matthew the tax collector and a guy named Simon the zealot. Can I just give you contextually who those two people would have been? Matthew was a tax collector, so he would have been kind of in cahoots a little bit with the government of Rome. He would have been collecting taxes, and Simon the Zealot would have been that hardcore Jewish patriot, and he would have seen Matthew as a sellout. So if you want to take it in, in, in kind of a political conversation, you had two people on opposite ends of the spectrum, and sometimes I wonder, what were conversations like between Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector? Simon said, Matthew, that, that, he a sellout. He takes up money for Rome, and we're supposed to be Jew Jewish people. You had a handful of fishermen, then you had Bartholomew or Nathaniel, who kind of same guy, had a couple different names based on context, and, and he was kind of this noble blood, and this, he would have had a different, like there was this diverse group of people, and guess what? All of them experienced death eventually. 
John was the only one that, that wasn't directly killed for his faith, and it wasn't because they didn't try. <laughs> he eventually dies of natural causes in exile. But you have people that were filleted with knives, hung upside down, run through with spears for their faith. And all of these people were trying to live out what it meant not to just be, like we said last week, some casual convert of Jesus. Like, Jesus doesn't do casual, amen? Like, there's, when you read through what Jesus said, there's no way you can think that Jesus is looking for people that are just kind of partly in this thing. Jesus wasn't looking to be a part. He was looking to be priority. And so much of what he said and so I'm, I'm trying to, to, to wrestle this down so I can, I can preach it in a way true to what, I, what does it really mean, God, to be a disciple? Because we've said it before in this room, we got a lot of people in our world that claim Christ, but there seems to be such different ways they're living that out. And how can two people claim allegiance to the same God but live it out in, in such diverging ways? Is that a confusing for anybody else? Come on. And not saying that there's not room for... for, for some diversity and expression of how we live out our faith, but the question is, what did Jesus say about what it meant to be a disciple? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say, this is what I'm looking for. This is what it means to be a disciple. And we noticed last week that there was times when Jesus says, if you don't, you aren't. If you can't, you will not be, right? If you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. If you are not doing this, you are not my disciple. We referenced those last week. We're gonna lean into them a little bit this week and it's gonna get hard. Y'all with me, say amen. And, and, and to just give you kind of two little sentences that God's been putting on my heart, that what it means to be a disciple is trusting in what he did, but also living by what he said. It's both. It is not just trusting in what he did. It is also living by what he said. It's seeing our need for him, knowing that we are sinners and that we are broken and that we are made for God and to be in a relationship with God, but that sin is standing in the way and we can do nothing about it. And that's why Jesus came, to be the sacrifice necessary to atone for your sins, to be able to remove it, to make you right with God. Y'all with me? Come on. But it's also about walking with him, not just trusting in what he did, but living by what he said. It is both. And Jesus said a lot about what it means to be a disciple. Remember Luke chapter 14? Look at verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their very own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Yeah, you heard that last week. That Jesus says, if there's anything in your life that you allow to take precedent over my relationship with you, this isn't gonna work out. If there's any other thing that has become priority, if you are pursuing, chasing, placing anything at all above, if anything in your life matters to you more than I matter to you, you're not my disciple. Y'all with me? And then there was a guy named Paul that would later come along whose life gets transformed by Jesus. 
And what he says in Philippians is, is, is at the very heart of what Jesus is trying to say would be required of a disciple. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Paul gives this resume of all the things he's done and all the things that he's accomplished and all the things that he's attained. And then this is what he says because he's lost it all. But whatever were, my, were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. But I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That Paul says, like, I had it all. I gained all the earthly things that you can possibly gain. All the fame, even wealth, privilege, stature, status. And once I started following Jesus, there were times when when things bumped up against that stuff. And I had to make a choice. Am I going to fight to protect what I've earned, what I've gained? Or am I willing to let it go in order to pursue Jesus? That Jesus made it very clear Look at me. If you follow me, it's going to cost you. If you follow me, it's going to cost you. And there's not a single person in Scripture that followed Jesus that it didn't cost them greatly, even to the point of their very own lives. So I have to say, if following Jesus isn't or hasn't cost you anything, I wonder if you're really following Jesus. If following Jesus hasn't and isn't costing you something, are you really following Jesus? If I ask you the question, hey, what has following Jesus cost you? And you're like, hmm, I can't really think of anything. Are we really following Jesus? What did following Jesus cost you in the last seven days? If the answer is nothing, are we really following Jesus? Because there's not a single person in Scripture that didn't have to constantly give up, sacrifice, lose, let go of something in their lives. And if you're walking with Jesus constantly and you look around and you don't feel the weight of walking with him, you may be walking all by yourself. If you can look at your life and not see anything that it is costing you to follow Jesus, and we live in a culture when we we don't want it to cost us anything. That's why we don't say things that need to be said and do things that need to be done and make the hard decisions. We're comfortable with Jesus just keeping us out of hell and not walking with him in a way right now that might cost you a friendship or cost you a job or cost you some comfort or cost you some money in some way. Like we don't wanna be inconvenienced. And Jesus made it really clear, like if you're gonna follow me, it's going to cost you. So if you claim Christ and it hasn't and isn't costing you something, y'all with me say amen. This ain't a fun message, I know, but it's one we need to hear, right? What's it costing you? And I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you. In the last seven days, 
What does it cost you to follow Jesus? In the next season of your life, what's it going to cost you to follow Jesus? And Paul said, I've learned, like, I've learned to, to let it go, to open my hands and realize that I'm willing to, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to, to lose everything. I'm willing to lose all the things that I once thought were so important because I realized the one thing that matters no one can ever take. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, it's going to cost you. But that's not all he said. Look at, go back into John chapter 8. Verse 30 says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you will really be my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Remember, we said, trust in what he did. Live by what he said. He said, if you're really my disciple, you'll hold to my teaching. And it's really bothersome to me that we live in a world where people act like Jesus didn't speak into moral and social issues at all. As if Jesus said very little about the things that are relevant to our culture. If that's what you believe, you've never read the Sermon on the Mount. Because if you go and you read Matthew chapter five through Matthew chapter seven, Jesus said a lot of really hard, difficult Challenging things. And look at me. We don't get to cherry pick what we choose to follow and ignore what goes against the grain of culture. And we love to say, well, well Jesus said don't judge. That's our one, isn't it? We love that one. Yet Jesus did say don't judge, but he also said that you could commit adultery with a person and never lay hands on them. Jesus had a lot to say, y'all, about a lot of things. Go read it. He talked about marriage and divorce. He talked about violence. He talked about all kinds of different things in that Sermon on the Mount. And for us to sit around and act like Jesus didn't speak into issues that are relevant to what we're walking through in culture now is just choosing to ignore a good portion of what Matthew records about the life and teachings of Jesus. Jesus said a lot about a lot. And when we choose to follow Jesus and if we say we're going to be his disciple, we got to lean into what Jesus said. Again, I go back to the illustration. People come, Matt, what do you think about this thing? What do you think about this thing? I get this, Matt, is this, is this attitude, is this action sinful? And when I say, well, let's see what Scripture says. And then I sit down with people and I say, well, according to Scripture, this is what it says. And they say, well, who are you to judge? I'm nobody to judge, but God is the ultimate authority and he said certain things are sinful and certain things are not. So me telling you what scripture said is not judgment, it's pointing out the truth of God. And Jesus said, when truth is ignored, freedom will get lost. He has a lot to say. So follow my teaching. And do you know what Jesus said about the issues that are happening close to home in our culture today? I'm not saying, do you know what I said? Or do you know what some other preacher you watch on YouTube all the time said? And this is what we do. We decide what we want to believe about a certain issue. Then we go to the Bible to try to affirm what we've already determined. That is, look at me, church. That is a dangerous practice. 
That is a really dangerous practice. And it's happening far too much in our culture. Go look at it. You want some Bible reading for this week? Go read. Just read Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. The Sermon on the Mount. Look at what Jesus said. And you're going to discover he said a lot more about a lot of things that our culture deems or decides to ignore. He said, following my teaching, following my words, following what I said. 1 John chapter 5, or excuse me, 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 3. It says, we know that we have come to know him. Listen, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. This is written by John, one of those guys that was on that mountain that day when Jesus gave that commission. When he looked, John was the one of the ones that he looked at and said, go make disciples. And so every, he, he remembers, hey, Jesus, and he remembers that when, when Jesus said that, he said, he didn't say, when he said go make disciples, he said go Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. Yeah, get them saved. Yeah, baptize them. But remind them about what I said. And John says, like, if you claim to know him, but you don't align yourself with what he has said, look at me. We cannot claim Christ and then align ourselves with ideology that stands in contrast to what he taught. We cannot claim Christ and then align ourselves with ideology that stands in contrast to what he taught. And the only way you can know what he taught is start to read it more and more for yourself. I don't want you to ever just take my word for it about anything, okay? Can I say that to you as your pastor? I don't want you to ever just take my word for it. I want you to trust me, yeah. I want you to trust that I'm never gonna stand on this platform and say anything that I haven't studied and wrestled with and prayed over. This is the authority, right? And how do we know if we're aligning ourselves with ideology that stands in contrast to what he taught if we don't know what he taught? And I know that like we, this is the part that we like to lean in most of what he said. Mark chapter 12. This guy comes to Jesus and said, of all the commandments, Lord, which is the most important? Which is the one I need to follow? There's hundreds of them and I just need to know, like boil it down for me. Jesus, make it simple. And Jesus says, the most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Like, that's what we know, right? That Jesus said, love God with everything that you have and love people as much as you love yourself. That at the cornerstone of what Jesus taught was love. John 13 Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is so true. And Jesus is talking about the motivation of our hearts. That God is love. And those who follow him and his disciples operate from a posture of love. But I worry about what we're turning this into. That God is love. So therefore, anything unloving is not of God. Okay? But how are we defining love? Because if our idea of love is born of our flesh and driven by our feelings and not dug out of what God's word says about it, then we miss the mark. And it's like we've whittled this down to, well, we determine what love is based on our experience and based, based on watching a bunch of movies. Like we have this, or, or our favorite. So, so we, we develop this flesh-born, feeling-driven love, and then we attach that to God. And so we whittle God down to our idea of love. And so therefore, when somebody doesn't act in accordance to our idea of love, then they are acting in contrast to God. But maybe that's not true. We've, stay with me, okay? We've whittled down that all it means to be a Christian is just be nice to people. And I'm not saying that's not true, but I'm definitely saying it is so much more than that. Because there is nothing compassionate about co-signing on behavior that Scripture does not condone. And we move to this thing, well, loving God wouldn't. Loving God never. And almost to the point where we've defined love as it having permission to ignore sin. If love could ignore sin, Jesus wouldn't have been necessary. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, which church is not a wedding verse, it is talking about the love embodied by and flowing from the church, the body of Christ. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Yeah, like God is love, but there is nothing loving about ignoring truth, dismissing things that God's word clearly marks out as his best for who he created. A disciple trusts in what he did and lives by what he said. And we cannot live by what he said if we do not lean into what he has said. John 15, verse eight. 
says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to me, my disciples. That a disciple is not someone who just says a single prayer and then goes about their lives as if nothing has changed. Did you know, stay with me, there's not a single place in Scripture where I find somebody converting to following Jesus through praying a prayer. I'm not, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. When, when, when Peter steps out and preaches the gospel on the day of Pentecost and he says all these things and they look at him and say, Peter, what do we do with all this? He says, repent so that your sins may be forgiving and times of refreshing may be honoring. It said it's time to change. It's time to do something. It's time to take this information that you know about Jesus, let it sink down deep into your spirit and transform you from the inside out. He says that you'll bear fruit. Look at him. There's nothing that you ever do that ushers in salvation. Jesus did all the work, trusting in that. But on the other side of trusting in that, there is great change that happens. God transforms your heart and he changes your mind and he transforms your life. And James, the brother of Jesus, knew this better than anybody. That's why he wrote some really hard things in James chapter two. What is it? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? And he asked the question, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, show me your faith. Some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God, good. Even demons believe that and shudder. That is more than just about belief in, it's about commitment to. It is trusting in what he did and living by what he said. It is a life that is formed by the life and teachings of Jesus that permeates every part of your life. It shapes how you approach every single area. That there's not a single place, look at me, there's not a single place of your life that shouldn't have Jesus' fingerprint on it. So you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. And I have no idea how to finish this today. Jesus said a lot of things about what it meant to be a disciple, not a churchgoer, not even a Christian. He never used that word. When he looked at his disciples, he called them disciples. When he said, go make, he said, go make disciples. And we've just seen so many things about what Jesus said about, if you're gonna be my disciple, this is what it looks like. This is what it's gonna take. This is what it's gonna require. It is gonna require you to let nothing come before me. It is gonna cost you to follow me. It is gonna force you to align yourself with what I have said. And you cannot align yourself with an ideology that stands in contrast to what I have taught. It means you're going to bear fruit. So Lord, help us to be disciples. Help us to wrestle with these things, God. This is not something that we just decide in this moment, God. My prayer is that everybody that's been 
in this room or watching online today and now goes and does some hard work. What it means to really follow you. God, we thank you for the free gift of salvation. We thank you that you have made the atonement for our sins and that we have forgiveness and freedom in you. But God, you want us to walk with you now. And help us to move beyond just celebrating and trusting in what you did. Help that to move towards now living by what you said. And help us to constantly, God, be reminded that this doesn't happen in a moment. It doesn't happen in a week. That we are all a work in progress. And God, I pray that today that nobody walks out of this room feeling a sense of shame or guilt or discouragement. But God, a sense of determination to seek after you in ways like maybe they never have before. To pursue you in ways they never have before. More intensity and intention. To have a hunger and thirst for your word like never before. To lean into your power of your Holy Spirit like never before. God, help us to go. And live a little bit more and love a little bit more like Jesus through the rest of this day better than we did yesterday and better tomorrow than we did today. And all these things we ask in your name. Amen. I know that sometimes messages like these, we don't know what to do. Can I just go ahead and say, if there's anything that I've said that's hit you in a way that you feel like we need to have a conversation, let's have a conversation. Reach out to me. Matt, M-A-T-T, at vintagechurch.net. Shoot me an email. I'd love to connect with you, have a conversation about anything. We love you. We thank you for being in the room. We thank you for watching online. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Give God some glory as you head out. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Vintage Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at vintagechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Vintage Church app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.